I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Tis the offseason for most teams in the NFL at this point. The coaching carousel continues at pace. Guys are getting interviewed. Guys are getting multiple interviews. And we get to find out the real question. Can the Atlanta Falcons blow a two-interview lead over everybody else for Bill Belichick at this point? Helping break down all of that and getting into the boo-boo breakdown later on with Vic is our guy Brad Spielberger. How's it going, Brad? Going great, going great. Like Billy B in uh, Atlanta, you know, just just cruising along and and uh, getting a little warmer. Yeah, gets his second interview, which sounds more like an actual first interview as opposed to just a chat with Arthur Blank, which is what the first one sounded like. Um, yeah, like so. I want to start with a, a little bit lower down. Our, our guy uh, Bobby Slowick, PFF Bobby, is now up to five interviews. I think I've seen concluded his Titans interview over Zoom yesterday. I think was the latest report. PFF Zach, Zach Robinson, uh, coach at the Rams right now, has had a couple of interviews, I think, for offensive coordinator positions. So if, if you had to choose and you were part of PFF Bobby or PFF Zach's administration, what would your role be within the building? Yeah, so for, for Slowick, you know, obviously, well, first, just real quick, it's crazy him and Ben Johnson are taking five interviews and they're trying to prepare for divisional round games. Right. I, this process is still a bit flawed. But anyway, um, I mean, yeah, if, if I'm Bobby, you know, I, I wonder where Ben Johnson does ultimately go. I think Washington is going to be that choice. Um, I'm, I'm avoiding Carolina at all costs, no matter who I am. Uh, that's the last place on the list. And, and so I think beyond that for Slowick, uh, who specifically has, has given him the interviews? You, you tell me of the five, and I'll, I'll pick my favorite spot, not Washington. Oh, man, I don't, I'm not sure I have the five. I know, obviously, Tennessee was the one he just concluded the interview with. Um, yeah, I'm not sure who the five guys are that have actually offered him, jo- or offered him interviews. Let's get, get back to the thing you mentioned there for a second, the process, the fact that all these interviews are taking place now <laughs> during the playoffs. Okay, it's clearly crazy. On the other hand... It's also not like you can expect a team that needs a coach to wait until after the Super Bowl because at that point you're like deep into the offseason that everybody else has been going on with for the last two months. So what is, what's the fix there? Like what is our solution to how they should function? I think they should just push it back. I, I don't see why you can't wait. Uh, you know, I, I get you want to get the guy in there as soon as humanly possible. I understand that. I, I kind of chuckle now at the thought of – also, real quick, I guess I'll say Tennessee for Slowick. Um, step in, play with a play-action, big-armed quarterback like Levis, kind of build that thing out. I like what Rand Carthon has done. But, yeah, push it back. Like I, I chuckle at that because not a single team in the NFL interviewed Mike, Mike McDaniel until, like, March. Right. And then Miami is like, hey, let's interview the best coach on the cycle by a country mile and bring him in, and he'll turn the entire offense around and maximize every single player Tua, Austin Jackson, the rest of the offensive line, all the like, I think it's a joke. And look, a lot of these, you know, jo- jobs are predetermined probably in November, but I just, I, it's just frustrating. It's like, I, I want these coaches to be focusing on the game. Um, these Zooms are reportedly sometimes four to six hours long, uh, and, and these guys can't focus on the game ahead of them. It tarnishes their own product. I, I just don't see why you, 
even one more week to conference championship and then be like, all right, it's four teams. If you're on one of those, you're probably getting hired because you're in the conference championship round anyway. Don't don't you feel that it potentially sets those teams like permanently behind the eight ball in the in the race that everybody else has? Like the just the the lag that they're going to have to be able to effectively get started with their off season. And a lot of these teams, you know, it's not just a head coach we're dealing with; it's head coach and GM. Theoretically, you want there to be some sort of synergy between the two. So you almost have to hold everything until you've got these interviews out of the way. You've got the, the pick done. Meanwhile, other teams that don't have to deal with that are getting on with the offseason. I would say, so the GMs, like Adam Peters, for example, you know, the Niners are still playing, but I assume Adam Peters is already looking into real estate in Washington and has already moved there. <laughs> uh, you know, I mentioned Ben Johnson, I think, will be the head coach to go with him. So, yeah, GM, yes. And, of course, coaches are involved in the personnel. They're involved in roster decisions. But... Honestly, no. Like, I get it. You want every single minute at your disposal. You know, all the cliches are going to sleep in the office, yada, yada, yada. Like, no. Starting January 20th versus January 30th, do I think that it makes a meaningful difference in your ability to get ready for 2024? I, I don't. So, I get the premise. I get it's why they feel that way. Um, but 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 I think that is a, I don't know. I, I think we can work around that. I'm just trying to protect NFL franchises out here, Brad. And if you want to protect your family, then you need term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make. And the start of the new year, or in fact, you know, January the 19th of the new year, is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, so let's dive into these, uh, a couple of the big news items uh, bit by bit. Let's start with the Bill Belichick to Atlanta thing. Um, okay, there's some sort of, you know, Bill Belichick and Arthur Blank know each other. They're, they're relatively cordial, buddies, whatever. It makes some sense from that degree. The Atlanta Falcons have a pretty good roster top to bottom. There's a reason people are being mad at Arthur Smith for not seemingly being able to maximize that. On the other hand, they don't have a quarterback, and that's the thing that sunk Belichick since the departure of Tom Brady. So is this like, are these interviews like five hours dedicated to where were we getting a quarterback from? Then I'll tell you how we're going to, you know, crush the NFL. It certainly might be part of it. And Arthur Blank is an aggressive owner, a guy that's willing to spend and, and make splashes, trade up in the draft. They did a bunch in the Dimitrov era. Um, you know, they haven't done it recently because they've been kind of contracting and, and taking a step back. But and then also, yeah, are we going to talk to a Kirk Cousins? Are we going to bring in a bridge like a Garoppolo, Brissett, obviously connected to Bill Belichick? And the underrated thing here, too, is Thomas Dimitrov and, and Scott Pioli ran this building for like 15 years, and they're both New England Patriots, um, you know, ties there, too. So there, there's a lot that I'm sure has kind of been carried over from those Belichick Patriots model. That is probably the entire discussion. Yeah, who is going to be our quarterback? Are we going to trade up? They're at eight, and I think they're actually probably the team we should be watching the most. I know the Giants fans 
are begging the Giants to be in this conversation, and maybe they are. But um, for me, Atlanta at eight is the this team needs to and probably could trade up for a quarterback. Like that's the one I have circled this offseason. Are they also a team that would be interested in throwing a bag at Kirk Cousins just for the sort of the the guarantee of like, hey, Kirk Cousins is pretty good. We can all debate how good. You know, where is he in that that pantheon? But he's good. Right. So good on a team that's as good as Atlanta already roster wise is pretty useful. I mean, that's a good offensive line. It's got skill position players for days. The defense has taken a huge leap over the last you know year or so. And they then have number eight, et cetera, to build to, to use to, you know, use them, whatever they determine their second biggest need is. We can just solve the whole thing tomorrow if we bring in Kirk Cousins, throw a ton of money at him and, you know, hope that he's got a few more years left at, at the level he's been at for the last few years. I do. I think they are squarely in the Kirk Cousins conversation. I think they will be probably the biggest contender with the Minnesota Vikings. Probably some other teams that may be foray into the conversation, but I think Atlanta is the number one spot. I mean, you get to play in a dome still, just like Minnesota. You mentioned all the other surrounding circumstances. On offense, you'd probably say either it's a wash or maybe leans Minnesota just because, you know, great pass catchers there too, but Atlanta's not far behind. And then obviously on defense, you know, I think it's it, it pretty strongly skews in Atlanta's favor, especially because, you know, Daniel Hunter's a free agent, we don't know, and he's by far the best player on that defense. So, yeah, I, I think they have to be, frankly, to a degree, because, you know, I mentioned like a Garoppolo, Brissett, respect to those guys. Kirk Cousins is a clear tier or two ahead of those guys. Um, and, yeah, if the Achilles recovery goes well, maybe not even a bridge. Like, maybe he's like a two-year starter. It's a, you know, I'm not putting in the Tom Brady tier either, but it's a – you know, Tom Brady to Tampa-esque situation, and then you do maybe pass it off. And at eight, instead of quarterback, you take, you know, a blue-chip tackle to eventually replace Jake Matthews, or you take, I mean, shoot, drop in, a you know, Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors, whatever, uh, in that scenario, and have a really, really good offense. The, the thing that I find fascinating about Belichick, if he goes anywhere that doesn't have, like, an obvious incumbent, answer at quarterback or you know the top pick in the draft to go and grab one is that guy has been in the NFL for decades and Tom Brady has sort of uh, changed the 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 lens through which we view everything that we still have no idea how he views quarterbacks like what is Belichick's type at quarterback nobody has any clue there's no like trace of there's no common thread in all the quarterbacks that Belichick has has brought on board beyond Tom Brady. If you look at the guys they drafted, you know, as sort of sequential Tom Brady heirs, they're very different. Uh, they're very wide stylistic. Uh, the the post-Tom Brady landscape has gone like Cam Newton, Mac Jones. It's been craziness. Like even there's no common thread anywhere here. Like what does Brady or what does Belichick rather want in his starting quarterback? If you go to a team and they say, all right, everything's on the table. We can do whatever you want in the draft. We can throw whatever money you want. We can throw whatever draft picks to go and get a guy who's available potentially. What do you want in a quarterback? I don't know that anybody knows the answer to that question. Yeah, it's fair. I think if you try to say, all right, like start with Garoppolo, Brissett, uh, you know, Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi. Obviously, Cam Newton is a total outlier. I think that was a bit of a unique situation there. I think he wants guys that can, you know, line up under center, run play action, guys that are get the ball out quickly. Um, it doesn't really prioritize athleticism as much as other, um, you know, coaches. But I also think the Cam Newton thing is a great sign of uh, he also knows the game is going different directions and, and wants to adapt and change and build around the quarterback he has. But yeah, I think I think the main thing is just a guy that is not 
doesn't have to sit in shotgun, can tie the play-action game and the run game to the pass, um, you know, and, and in theory gets the ball out quickly, takes the check down, takes what the defense gives you, all, all those cliches. Um, but you're right. It's not the clearest picture, um, you know, in the post-Tom Brady era. I do think that in this world of, you know, Belichick is chasing those all-time records and I would imagine has to be relatively aware of saving, not saving, salvaging, like rebuilding his legacy. It's been it's been tarnished. There's no way around that. The 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 way that everything went the second Tom Brady left the building and won a Super Bowl without him, Belichick's reputation got damaged by that and the way the New England thing is uns- unspooled at the end of his career there. I mean, it's difficult to avoid the implication that everybody else is blaming him, right? The crafts, whatever. Like, the building is determined that this is effectively Belichick's fault, and he's carried the can, and he's on the way out. And it doesn't undo, you know, a dynasty that he built there. But it does mean that if he fails in the next place, like if he goes somewhere chasing the final wins to push him over Don Shula, but it's kind of a disaster— his, re- his legacy gets damaged. So if you're Belichick, I would imagine if you're looking for a job now, you have to be saying, I need the right place. Like I can't, I can't, go, into a, I can't go into a Carolina, fail to like put out the fire, and that's the end of my career. Like he has to look at a place and say, I can win games and win more games than I lose in this situation pretty much immediately. And I think Atlanta's floor is really, really high, of course. So they are, you know, to that point, they're going to be aggressive at quarterback. They aren't going into a season being, yeah, we'll have a Ritter-Heineke situation and see how it plays out. Like, that's not going to happen. But you're still, I know the Bucks are plucky and, and want a playoff game. You're still probably in the worst division in football next year. Um, so that raises your floor. You're going to the, I, I know we all thought the AFC would be way ahead of the NFC. Didn't play out that way, but I still kind of do view the conferences in that light. Um, yeah, I mean, instead of playing Miami, Buffalo, uh, you know, and, and those teams in your own division, you're playing, you know, the Saints and and Panthers that you just mentioned. So, yeah, I, I agree, but I think the floor is super, super high. Like, I'd be shocked if, if 500 isn't a borderline floor, again, because I assume they're going to be aggressive at the quarterback position. Every, everything else is there. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm kind of curious to see what he would make of that team, particularly if they do make an aggressive move, a Cousins, or go crazy in the draft and, and get up to one or two and grab one of those top two guys. I am fascinated by what Belichick could do with that team because it has felt for a couple of years like they've been underachieving. So I'm all for that particular connection coming good. I'm also not against the idea of somebody else gazumping the Falcons and somehow 28-3 manifests itself again in coaching hires. Um, but that's just for the funds. Um, anyway, this podcast is brought to you by Price Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. A, the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS is just you against the numbers. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player or stat projections, uh, player stat projections rather, and watch the winnings roll in. In this particular week, Eli has gone with Christian McCaffrey for more than 0.5 rushing and receiving touchdowns. So basically, McCaffrey scores, you're good. Dalton Kincaid getting more than 39 and a half receiving yards, and Josh Allen going for more than 43 and a half rushing yards. That's a pretty big number for a quarterback that, um, you know, is not a designated running quarterback first and foremost. It's a, obviously he covered it last week, but uh, a pretty aggressive number for Josh Allen. Anyway, all those three things come in for Eli, he wins. But generally speaking, that doesn't happen. Um, 
Want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill or comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find them under the community plays of the promo tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player that exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to prizepix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. I gotta tell you, Brad, I have been getting hammered by spam calls this week on my phone. I'm just getting an endless sequence of phone calls from nothing but spam and can't find a way of killing them. And it's driving me insane. Um, anyway, let's stay. A, this is, that was a random tangent. I don't know if it was tied to anything. There it was, was tied a, to the Google fact it. that for the second time in 15 minutes, my phone started ringing with a spam call. So. So while I'm doing the ad read, about a month ago, this is a big PSA to all the people. I'm sure you, there's a Google it. There's like a number you can call, and it you say, "Hey, like take my phone off of these lists." I haven't gotten a spam call in in weeks. I'm, I'm going to need that number because yeah. I'm getting wrecked by them recently. It's not <laughs> helping anything. Anyway, let's stay with the New England connection. Uh, the Patriots named Gerard Mayo their new head coach. Um, obviously, this was something that was sort of being reported. They had put it contractually. We talked about that a bit last week. Um, it was part of his contract that he was going to be the heir apparent. And even though, you know, Mike Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh or the other big names were out there in the landscape, they did not pivot. They stayed the course. They stuck with the game plan. And Gerard Mayo is now going to be the head coach of the New England Patriots. Yeah, so this one is interesting. When you talked about how, you know, the messaging, the optics from New England sort of is, hey, Bill was the problem. I know it's not that clean and concise, but... I find it fascinating, not just giving the, the job to Gerard Mayo, who I think has earned it and is obviously not Bill Belichick. He's made that clear. But at the front office structure, they still might just stick with the same approach they've had. And, and Kraft did mention, we'll look outside the building, we'll maybe do things differently. But when I listened to him, it didn't sound like that was like a an urgent thing they were going to work on or, or a massive desire to make meaningful change. And <clears throat> I don't know. I, I just th that kind of stuck out to me. Like, oh, you also think that Mayo could be better in the personnel side, and, and I know all their coaches. Like Flores was it was a personnel guy before he was a coach. Even like they always love cross training everyone. So I'm sure Mayo falls in that bucket as well, and maybe he does. And obviously, there's randomness and variance in drafting too. If they just followed the consensus board and stopped trying to, you know, take the 114th ranked player at left guard in the first round, like maybe they'd be fine. Um, but, but yeah, I, it, it, that, that part stuck out to me big time. Last piece, we found out this morning, or late late last night, Bill O'Brien going to Ohio State to be the OC. So, got to replace that side of the ball. Weird, weird, we don't have to get into that. We don't cover college. But that was a strange move, I thought. But anyway. <laughs> we, um, it's interesting. You said that, uh, you know, Gerard Mayo earned it. And yet, one of the things that a lot of people are saying is that, well, this is a guy that's never been a coordinator, never called plays, you know, so how do those two things square? Like how, what is, what is Re Mayo's resume that makes him the heir apparent? Because they've, they've sort of gone this way for a while. There's been this feeling in the building that Mayo is a future head coach in waiting and he's the guy that eventually is going to take over from Bill Belichick. And maybe the timeline is different than they expected it to be, but they've stuck with that course. They've predetermined this is the guy 
and they he's he's the one that's assumed the mantle of that job. Yeah, so I would say the first thing for me is, I mean, his position group. You might be can make an argument that the linebackers, uh, the inside linebackers, particularly, he's gotten more value or, or, or you know, untapped the talent there more than maybe any other position coach across the league recently. Just with all the guys they've either drafted in late rounds or brought in that were not playing well or not playing. Period. In other buildings, they come into England and, and put up really good numbers or just fit in the, the system what they're trying to accomplish. So. There's that element, the leadership element and all that, and I think what ties in there is I imagine he will be a CEO-type head coach. Maybe – I think it would be kind of interesting if the Belichick kids follow Bill or if they try to kind of plant their flag and do their own thing because obviously Belichick's not going to be around for that much longer. And since Steve took over, the defense is number one in the NFL and EPA per play allowed. Like, they've been good and Bill hasn't been calling plays for a while. So I think that's where it comes from is, he, you know, he obviously – has a massive leadership role. He obviously can coach the fundamentals and all that, which we always hear about how Belichick would walk around the field and you know be teaching technique and all those things. And then I know we're obsessed with play calling. And of course, the best coaches, the Andy Reeds of the world, are also doing that and it separates them. But I don't think that's a, that's a big push in New England. He might not even be calling the defense. That might not be their main concern for a head coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such a weird position. Somebody pointed out like recently the number of coaches, I think that before last week, you know, in, in the, the – uh, division the the wild card round of the playoffs like here are the number of guys that were never offense or defensive coordinators you know it's been pretty successful like there's a, a good group of them because being a head coach is not just being an x's and o's coach it's doing 58 other things as well right so you can be really good at a bunch of other things even if you're not great at the x's and o's part of it and we don't know that he isn't he just hasn't had that coordinator responsibility or that play calling responsibility um i also think if you're not going to be one of those guys, like if you're not a Kyle Shanahan where you control the offense and therefore it doesn't matter if somebody poaches an endless sequence of your coordinators, right? If somebody steals McDaniel and Slowick and, you know, whoever the next guy is going to be and just keeps taking them, doesn't matter. He's the guy pulling the strings anyway. He just backfills and, you know, cheaches the next guy up and then he leaves. It's all Shanahan. If you're not going to be that guy, if you are actually going to rely on your coordinators, let's say um, – John Harbaugh, right, where he's not doing it. He was a special teams coordinator. He de essentially delegates the offense and defense to coordinators. If you're going to be that guy and you're going to be good, the chances are those guys are going to get poached. So your best skill almost needs to be hiring coaching staff. Like, forget, you know, actually doing the offense. I need to make sure that the first time somebody steals my great offense or defensive coordinator, I can replace them with somebody equally as good. Yeah, and I think there is honestly a skill to that. There are guys that, first of all, that people want to go work for more. <clears throat> Your network is massive. I think being a former player, like for me, I'm sitting here thinking about Detroit. Uh, they're going to lose Ben Johnson. The the scuttlebutt in Detroit is they think Tanner Engstrand, who I want to say is the, I don't know, QB coach, run game, well, well, so pass game coordinator maybe, is going to step up and fill that void. And again, we can't assume anyone's going to be a Ben Johnson, but like, the, the, apparently there's like no concern. They think he's a rising right. star. He's the next. So like if you have that level and, and I say Campbell, because the former player, all those coaches on that staff guys want to go work there. They can, like you said, backfill too. If you're a Shanahan, you lose all these coaches. Oh, now Clint Kubiak is your, you know, pass game coordinator. He was calling plays in 2021. Like, so you always are able to. And then I think the last piece is kind of the cyclical nature of the NFL. Like not going to happen to Mike McDaniel, but like, 
I don't know, let's say Miami falls apart next year and goes 5-12. and 12. Like, Mike McDaniel's probably just the OC in San Francisco right again. So it's kind of, you know, the, uh, it, it is a skill. It's important. It's necessary for sure because at a certain point, you know, it, you obviously can get in a Patriots-type situation maybe on the offensive side of the ball or, or something happens that it just kind of it kills you. But I think you can figure it out for a while. I do find the, the Belichick kids angle pretty fascinating. Like, okay, Belichick is getting dumped. I know they, you know, they, they got they got the hug at the press conference, right? So PR wise, optics wise, it's all good. But reading between the lines, it's very clear that it's like, Bill, you're the problem and we're getting rid of you, right? That that's essentially what happened here. And yet, with Bill Belichick being fairly unceremoniously dumped out of the building, it's like, but Steve, and I don't even remember the name of his other kid that works there. But anyway, Steve and the other Belichick, you guys still have a job. If you would like to stay here on the coaching staff and continue the work of excellent defense, by all means, have at it. Gerard's okay with that. That's a weird situation to be in for everybody, isn't it? I mean, the craft saying, you know, yes, we just asked your dad, but we'd like you to stay here. Them being in that position of, well, they just ran our dad out of the building, but the job is here if we want it. And then Bill having to be like, they just kicked me out of the building, and yet I need to root for my kids that are still calling defense. And by the way, might be competing against my kids who still call the defense next year. Yeah, it's fascinating. I really do wonder if their prioritization is, hey, let's obviously ride this thing out you know, with our dad. Wherever he goes, we'll just go there and coach with him. Or like I said, like, the best way to get uh, to not be viewed as oh they're just Belichick's kid. What if right. you know uh, Steve stays and the defense is awesome again next year? Of course Mayo's part of that, but say, okay, this guy's been calling plays now. Now he's not even with his dad, and they're still you know have a really really good unit. He probably starts popping up as a head coach candidate in the not so distant future. Yeah, definitely. It's just it's just awkward as hell for everybody yeah, involved. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, you know it is. It it's is. So, <laughs> it's so strange to me that they. I guess you can't. You know. You can't, like, add insult to injury and be like, not only are we running you out of the building, but we're going to run your kids out as well. In fact, anybody with the name Belichick is no longer welcome in this building. Get out. Get out now. I guess you can't do that. So the alternative is... They are individuals at the end of the day. They they have to be viewed as such, but I I get it for sure. Yeah. So the alternative is everyone just has to play nice in this really awkward situation. (laughs) I think if any team fired someone and then anyone related to him also had to leave, I think most NFL buildings would run out of employees because it's all just, you know, if you're a cousin or an uncle or whatever. So that's tough too. You can't really do that. Otherwise, the building would be, you know, crickets going on in the building. It's all just one giant nepotism party in the NFL. Well, that's what it is. Um, it's also the off season, which means draft season. And if you want to dive into the PFF mock draft sim, there is a promo code right now to get you 30% off. The promo code is 30MDS, 30MDS. That gets you 30% off a PFF annual subscription. So dive in there right now. Draft to your heart's content. Draft your favorite team or, in fact, all 32 NFL teams on the mock draft sim. Um, we're going to be using it all the way through the offseason on this show, but also just, you know, for funsies because everybody loves a mock draft. Everybody loves trying to come up with the worst mock draft ever because all of them seem to be that. So go to the mock draft sim, use code 30MDS to get yourself 30% off. Um, okay, the last piece of news that we didn't really cover that much was Mike McCarthy is officially staying in Dallas. Um which I think I can take a victory lap on and predicting would be the case for for the 
as a, as a man with a deep personal connection with the mind of billionaires, um, Jerry Jones is sort of seen and portrayed as this knee-jerk, reactionary, crazy fantasy football ma general manager, and yet he is always absurdly patient when it comes to head coaches, like way past the point where fans <laughs> would have gotten rid of the guy. Jerry still gives him another swing of the bat and sees where he can go. So even though this is one of the most embarrassing losses in a long history of embarrassing playoff losses, I, I kind of always felt like they would see, we've won 12 games three straight years. I can't get rid of that guy. We're too close. Yeah, I think you made the right call there. I, I think you do deserve a, a pat on the back for that one. And, and honestly, it probably is the rational move. I know we react to playoff games. I know it was an extremely ugly playoff loss. But particularly on that side of the ball, you know, on offense in Dallas, you had Dak Prescott like singing praises of the offense they've been running and how much easier it was for him to do and how he was like, it was remarkable how like you tie concepts to his, his footwork and like all these, like, I can't believe I wasn't doing this my whole career. Like, I think you sell yourself on. There's more upside there potentially in another year going forward. We'll continue to add talent to this team. Because, again, like they did make some kind of like for them, like adding Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore via trade is kind of them being aggressive. That That, that yeah. is. Um, but it's still like, all right. Our number two receiver is 30 years old now. And our number two corner who became our number one corner is like 34. Like. They were, they were aggressive moves for the Dallas Cowboys, and both of them were fine. They were productive, but there's still more there to tap into. I would say, and again, it's only, you know, this is reactionary, but Dan Quinn, he beat they beat up on the bad teams, but every, every good offense they played kind of took them to the woodshed, and it sounds like if he doesn't get a head coach job, he'll be right back there as well. That's the thing. I I kind of agree. I see. I'm, I'm I predicted that this would be the way they were going, and I'm still not 100 percent sure what the answer is. If you're Jerry Jones, I, I think fundamentally, I think they're in a really difficult spot in terms of figuring out what the pathway is because three straight seasons of 12 wins is not an easy thing to do in the NFL, even like level setting for okay, most of the wins were against not good teams, and the losses were against the 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 good teams. It's still not easy to do that, right? Like there is, it's a difficult thing to just beat the bad teams in the NFL, even if you're at a level where the good teams beat you. So you look at that and you say, it's too good to just dump that because we lost in the postseason again. On the other hand, clearly something does need to change because we can't just keep going 12 wins and then getting dumped, right? So what is the answer to that? Like if you're Jerry Jones and you're looking at this and saying, right, I've decided that the baseline is too important. I am keeping Mike McCarthy. Too much is good to blow the whole thing up and go in a new direction. I'm almost certainly going to need to give Dak Prescott his next top of the market contract, you know, salary, which is making things even harder for me. So what is the thing I'm changing to ensure that there's a different outcome in the future? Because there's, you know, that classic um line of insanity the definition of insanity being to do the same thing over and over again expecting different results right so if you're jerry jones you've concluded this isn't the thing we're changing what is the thing we're changing it's a good question i, I would just say this isn't really answering your question but i also wonder if he looks at the division and is like all right philly is falling apart and imploding um the, the commanders are a couple of years away and the giants you know i need to figure out a lot in, in their situation so there's probably some element of that too like i don't want to disturb this and break this up because we might become the first team to you know win the division two years in a row in 25 years or whatever that that fun right. stat is so yeah, that, that's a good point, though, Like, because I, I don't know. When I say like they could be more aggressive, they're going to be spending so much money on Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb. We're talking probably 
55 a year plus for Dak and 30 plus a year for CD Lamb. Yeah, they could add more in free agency than they normally do. They're not they're, they're one of the smaller spenders in free agency among all the teams in the league almost every offseason. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. Because if you're not changing the coaching staff, you're not changing the quarterback, and, and you probably aren't going to be a crazy aggressive spending in free agency, Tyron Smith might be done. We don't know. Um, like there, there's more kind of question marks there, too. It's a good question. I, I don't know. You just hope that variance swings in your favor and you just, like, get lucky. But the NFC wasn't good this year, you know. Obviously, the Packers are playing good football right now, but you hosted at home the youngest offense in NFL history to make the playoffs, and you got demolished. Yeah. I also do wonder sometimes whether, you know, it's always easy from the outside to say, you know, here's the thing you do. Here's the radical move you make. And it's usually one of two things. It's go all in or blow it up and rebuild, right? Like Those are your two options. I do wonder sometimes, is there value in simply saying, if you keep knocking on the door, one year it's going to break you know it's going to break your way like we don't we don't necessarily i mean Dak Prescott's his own difficult conversation because he just had an arguably mvp caliber season and yet you the consensus would be again like it was the last time he got given a big contract like he's not worth 60 million dollars a year right that's a difficult that's a difficult problem to square in and of itself let alone the rest of the thing but if you're Dallas and you're like if we simply keep going 12, like 12, and if we simply keep winning 12 games, getting into the playoffs, like eventually we'll win a couple of these games because we're here every year and most teams aren't. And that's, you know, like when you go back of, uh, to, the, to the 80s or the 90s or whatever, right? And those 49ers teams and those Dallas teams, like they kept running up against each other in the playoffs. But like it didn't mean that you, or Buffalo, right? Oh, four straight Super Bowl losses. Like the answer to that wasn't, Let's do something crazy different. Like, we're in the Super Bowl every year. Sometimes you're going to go 0-4. I don't know that the answer to that is to do something radical next year. It's like, just keep hitting on the door and hope one of them goes your way at some point. Like, is that is that the approach that Jerry Jones has taken at this point? Like, we are 80% of the way there, and we just need a bit of luck for the next 20%. I get in theory, yeah, you'd think so. And obviously, it sounds crazy. And Dallas, in particular, always gets made fun of because, like, this has been their their thing for so long. Is they, yeah, they, they they get to the playoffs and don't advance far enough to actually what is that? They haven't been in a championship game in, in however long. So you could argue it's crazy. I also think, to a degree, that is kind of how football works. Like, you get injury variants in your way, right. or let's say this year they they don't lose in the first round, and then there's an upset for the Niners. You know, at some point in the first two rounds before the conference championship game who who's going to challenge like okay then, then you're you're hosting the NFC championship game against like the buccaneers or something right. like that that can happen like, like so it's a tough question it's like you said you're not going to tear it down and maybe you go go all in but that's never been their MO they're a draft and develop franchise they don't do those type of things like i said Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore one off season for me was like oh whoa Jerry's Jerry's getting crazy over here so yeah, I, I think I think it's the status quo. I know he says like oh, I want to win every year. I want to get Super Bowl more than anybody else. He's 81 years old. I get all those things. Honestly, I think they want to say we want to have a shot. We want to be in the conversation to maybe win. And Green Bay is the same thing. And Packers fans hate it too. They've made it further, yes, but they just want to get in the dance. And then they, they understand that things can swing your way. I think we're just we're too used to the Patriots. They they destroyed all concept of how we view football and pre, like it, it doesn't happen. It, it's not yeah. really a thing. You just be a playoff team and then and then hope things swing in your favor.
It, I mean, yeah, it, you're right. It really has ruined like everybody's perception of what should be attainable. I mean, Dan Marino was like an all-time great quarterback, went his entire giant long career and only made it to one and didn't obviously didn't win it. Like the guy made it to one Super Bowl, let alone winning the damn things multiple times. And then Brady and Belichick come along and just break the scale for everybody. Um, but the other thing I think that makes it difficult for Dallas and Jerry Jones is I felt this year more than most that Dallas is now really fighting against this like psychological history. Like it's a psychological block more than anything else at this point. So that's the thing you need to break down. It's not like, oh, we are like, here's where the huge flaws on the roster that keep getting exposed in the postseason are. It's like, no, your roster is good enough to win a championship. But when you get to a game against Green Bay and suddenly you're in a hole, everybody just capitulated. Like they just ran up the white flag and went, nope, not next year. Time to do it again. Like we've, we failed again. They immediately crumbled. That is your problem. And that I think is a way more difficult thing to figure out how to fix than, oh, we just change a coach or we change a quarterback or we do whatever. It's like, how do I, how do I fix an institutional psychological block now that's going on 20 years? I find that piece fascinating because McCarthy got asked about it in the press conference. I think it was, you know, paraphrasing, but to a to a degree, like, do you guys feel that weight and, and carry that? And he was like, absolutely not. We're not. Right. We're, I'm not going to apologize for what happened in Dallas, and neither are any of the players for what happened before, you know, 2020, whatever, whatever year he first got there. And it's it's probably true to a degree, but like you said, it's also like no, like that. That that angst is is going to be permeating the building, and like you can't ignore it or or deny that it exists, even if you correctly say no, it's not our problem. We didn't do that. It's still there, uh, yeah. you know, kind of just like looming over your shoulder, uh, whether whether you want to accept it or not. It's it's palpable. I mean, it was palpable during that game. You could feel yeah. them start to tense up, and then when it really got away from them, you could feel it like. Every, the, was it Greg Olson on that game? Like, he spent the yeah. first quarter being like, what the hell is wrong with Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb? Like, these, this is bizarre. And that's it's that. It was the whole thing. You could feel it, like, as you said, looming over the whole building, being like, it's going to happen again. And then it happened again, and, and, like, they just collapsed. So I don't know how you fix that as Jerry Jones, as the GM, as the owner of this team. But, like, I think that is their single biggest problem right now and I don't think that gets fixed by just making a knee-jerk change somewhere. Now, maybe you sweep aside Mike McCarthy and you bring in somebody with a better you know, grasp of human psychology or whatever, and that guy's able to do it. But I, I certainly don't think that's a given. And you need to find a guy that not only has a better grasp of human psychology, but can also continue the 12-win baseline for the next, you know, to make use of it. Otherwise, what's the point? So I do kind of feel like the Cowboys and Jerry Jones are in a tough spot. No, I think I don't think you're wrong, and I don't know that changing, you know, like uh, changing the OC, like replacing Brian Schottenheimer. I, I thought their offense during the regular season did a lot of cool things, and and did depart from a lot of, you know, what McCarthy in the end of the Green Bay days kind of got flack for, uh, you know, like just running slant flat and and like not really being creative with a lot of what he was doing. I don't. I, I was impressed by a lot of what Dallas did this year. So it's a good point. I. I think we are getting into the waters of just like, you know, it's almost like Atlanta Braves for, for a baseball reference, like where they just made the playoffs like every single year, but just could not get over the hump. And then it just, they finally just broke through. All right. It's time to head over to uh, the Boo Boo Breakdown to find out how some of the players relevant to this week's games are going to get on. 
All right, back in for a divisional round preview of the uh, Boo Boo Breakdown to look at all the injuries of the games heading into this week. Um, another interesting week of injuries, Vic. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of an interesting time when you get into the playoffs right now because every player you look at is dealing with one of three issues. They're dealing with rest, rust, or rehab. And so the way I kind of looked at all these players we're going to address today is they fall into one of those categories. So it'll be interesting to see how they do this weekend. Yeah, and we get um, you know the, the number one seeds entering the fray after having their bye week and getting a, a bit of rest, which I think was certainly important for some players uh, and potentially for others. Let's start with Mark Andrews because mm-hmm. he's been activated and his status seems very up in the air. Nobody knows what's happening. Is he actually likely to play or is he just on the pathway and they need another week before they're likely to get him on the field? If you look at Mark Andrews' designation, he's going to be listed as questionable. Um, for people that don't remember, he suffered a mid-November left ankle fracture. Uh, and, you know, this is not a bad time as, as far as timeline for to see somebody come back and be activated. But just because they open the practice window right. does not mean that he's going to be playing. Um, what I think is actually perfect timing for them is they open his practice window. He has 21 days. At that time, he's able to practice with the team. And if they activate him, right, the week they activate him would be Super Bowl weekend if they, if, if they make it. So right now, I don't see him playing this week. I see him just getting reps and testing things out. Maybe next week if they win and he's feeling better. But the nice thing is it's just a win-win situation for the Ravens right now. As far as his rehab and everything um, is concerned, he's just at a point of what he can tolerate and how much pressure he can put on that foot, how much um, his agility needs to come back. He's been working, obviously, on those things. But there's a big difference between doing that and then you know doing that on the practice field. Right, live, so. playing in an NFL game. Yeah, exactly. Um, another guy that... Uh, benefited from that that extra week Christian McCaffrey um the last time we saw him he sort of left the game with a calf strain we were we talked about how they they taped it up and were trying to sort of help that calf and they eventually shut him down and obviously he's had the benefit of that by week of rest so is McCaffrey likely to be 100 percent? is he good to go I would say his likelihood is to be 100 percent, but this also doesn't mean that he doesn't have a risk for re-aggravation Granted, the first week back from a calf strain, no matter what position, there is a high percentage of re-injury. Between that and the hamstring, you have a high soft tissue injury rate like above 20%. Now, taking another week of rest and coming back to recovery, well, there's not a lot of studies on that, but as expected, that's just going to go down. That number is going to be down, but it doesn't eliminate it. So Christian McCaffrey is going to have a risk of re-aggravation, but it's not nearly as much as if he would have played last week. Right. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do just proactively tape his ankle. Um, don't be surprised if you see him on the sideline with like a massage gun on his calf, working it, keeping it heated, even if they do a compression on it, just because when you have a muscle that's strained and if it starts to tighten up, it's going to tighten up a little bit more than what would just be a regular muscle. So. Um, one guy that we that sort of, I, I guess, surprised us a bit by playing last week was Sam Laporta. Mm-hmm. We were saying the most likely thing to happen was he would probably have this week, last week off, and then we get to see him next week. He played, but it was a lot like the Travis Kelsey play when he first came back. It's like he's playing, he's out there, it doesn't look the same. And okay, he got a touchdown, so it's not like he was completely useless or anything. But that was the lowest grade we've seen from him in a long time. You know, he had three catches for 14 yards. 
including that touchdown. It wasn't the same impact from Sam Laporta that we've been used to seeing. So how quickly does do we go from that to the guy pre-injury? Well, the funny thing about Laporta, when you look at him actually playing out there, he's, he still didn't even look that good. Like, I mean, I watched him um, about three or four times over on his touchdown catch, and where you would almost see like somebody break off a route and make it into a dig route, kind of like a scramble play like he did, he could not even cut. I mean, he was rounding that turn and really hampering his ability to like have those really sudden stop starts. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit better this week, but he surprised the crap out of me that he even played. I right. mean, if we had a Beast of a week, the Week award, they would go to Sam Laporta. This week, I see him playing. He's going to be um, limited in practice this week. I know he was limited on Thursday. He's going to be limited today. And it's all just because they're trying to give him as much time to heal because he is somebody at this point in the season, even though he's a rookie, does not need to practice full to go out there on game day. So expect a little bit more productivity on his end. Hey, he's probably going to look a little bit better agility-wise, but by no means is he going to be 100%, especially coming off what we thought was a you know, more serious bone bruise and contusion on his knee. Um, so a couple more injuries to get through. Gabe Davis has been dealing with something for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been spreading the ball around really well, not necessarily you know, with Stephon Diggs being their number one, but outside of him, they've been using all kinds of other receivers. What's the story with Gabe Davis? So uh, Gabe Davis had a left PCL injury, um, and when he suffered that in week 18 against the Dolphins, uh, you and I discussed briefly that like it, it looked like it could have been a lot worse. And the fact that he was even still able to just kind of get up and and run it shows us that it wasn't a complete tear or massive injury. That being said, he's still not practicing as of yesterday. Um, so Gabe Davis is one of those players, when you look at him, he is a burner. I mean, he he isn't necessarily the guy that you can say, like, you know, dink and dime across the middle, but you need his elite speed. And it's going to be tough for him when you come off of a PCL issue to be able to fully go and push that knee as much as it needs to be pushed. So if he's still not practicing, um, I would say that it's not likely that he's going to play. If he does play, they'll know really fast when they send him on a nine route if he's actually full speed and good to go. Um, one of the most important players, I think, on defense this week is Jair Alexander, who yeah. is questionable. And there's a lot of um, reports that are saying it doesn't look good. The Packers, I think, would really love to have him against that incredible array of 49ers offensive players. Um, what is Jair Alexander going through? So he just re-aggravated that ankle sprain. And as we know, I mean, ankle sprains are, are one of those that, that it's just not black and white. Like some play, players come back and they're spatted up and they're taped like to the nine and they ready, they're ready to go. And, you know, halfway through the game, you can see him visibly limping. And then you have cases like where, you know, somebody comes back from a high ankle sprain unusually early and they play a full game and they're fine. With him, what clearly happened is that it, it re-aggravated and it's still bothering him. And they're taking this entire week to just focus on the rehab of his ankle because he didn't practice yesterday. He might be limited today, but it's all just so he can get rest on that. And then I bet you they're, they're gonna try to make him a full go for the game because like you said, they need him and he's gonna be a really important factor for that defense. When he first did it, it was just a, a rolled ankle. What, how, how did he? Yeah, so, um, so his ankle sprain actually when they beat the Cowboys was the same type of thing. It was what they call like an E version and it's, 
when you re-aggravate an ankle sprain, it's so much easier. So like, let's say the first time when you sprain your ankle and it's, it's significant, you might see a guy get rolled up on or they cut and their ankle just kind of collapses. The second time when it re-aggravates, it happens in a similar manner, but just not as aggressively on like a play. So for a Jair Alexander, it just is a tweak and his ankle rolls like that because right. he's lacking that stability. So based off of the first time when it was like a grade one, grade two sprain, this one just came because it just didn't have the stability and able, ability to plant. He's gonna be taped up for sure. They're gonna to try to give him as much security on that ankle as possible. Um, but kind of like we just talked about with Christian McCaffrey, you can't sit there and say like, there's not a chance that he's gonna re-aggravate this again. I would not be surprised if that does happen. Yeah, it's why, I mean, I, I didn't pay attention to see whether or not they had it taped up against the Cowboys, but it seems strange that he would have come back with an ankle injury and then not, you know, double ensure that he's not gonna roll it again right aggravated. right and i also um something with like jair alexander given the position that he plays think about like the difference between an ankle sprain with like a, a skill position the outside corner um, slot wide receivers when i analyze those players and their movements it is such quick steps and such sudden cutting that you really rely on the outside stability of that ankle so much more than you would if you were just like you know dropping back as a quarterback or um, let's say you're an offensive lineman this this is the type of thing where um, I feel like an ankle injury like this is going to impact the cornerback position way more than it would you know let's say an interior lineman right um, for Baltimore Marlon Humphreys out um, mm -hmm. but Zay Flowers sounds like he's going to be good to go yeah so Zay Flowers is a kind of another interesting one because he's somebody who I don't necessarily think um, gets enough appreciation. I I think you can agree with this. I was I wasn't actually the highest on Zay Flowers coming in to the NFL, mm. but when he um, performed the way he did this year, he really did well and they, I think they're going to they're going to need him to spread the field a little bit. Zay Flowers is also that type of player though, um, at, at least from my understanding that when any type of lower extremity injury for somebody like him you just it's a hit or miss uh, you know how much can they rely on their legs for cutting how much can they do where they um you know plant cut everything like that but he's gonna play i mean he's i think he should be almost near 100 percent effectiveness to be honest so yeah i mean the way he moves you know he needs <laughs> he needs everything in the lower body yep. to be functioning because that guy is making ridiculous cuts ridiculous you know stop start movements sudden like lightning quick that that guy moves differently to other people so mm -hmm. you would imagine he needs everything in the legs functioning otherwise who knows how much impact that has well um he bringing him up actually just made me think and i and i haven't been able to find any updates as of recently but he reminds me of what value he brings to a team like tank dell and tank dell might be able to come back soon i was i, met, I asked steve that at some point and i haven't Again, haven't same thing. I haven't found any like reference to that. But he he had a just a fibula, fibula fracture. Yep. Yep. So theoretically, that's a timeline that gets you back in the postseason, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I would. So, but they immediately said after that injury, like he's done for the year. Like there was never any equivocation of, well, maybe we could get him back if we make the playoffs or blah. It was just like, no, season ending. Yeah, the end. Yeah, it was weird how the initial reports came like that. Now, being that it's just the fibula is not a weight-bearing bone of the leg, really. Right. And that there's video of him, like, 
jogging and jumping. Yeah, and, and he stuff. led the team out, not last week, the, the last game of the regular season, I think. He yeah. led them out of the tunnel and was bouncing around, like running out. I, that, I, I don't know what I expected, but I assumed no chance he's playing. I expected to see him in a boot or something, right. and he's busy like just jogging out. Yeah, I didn't expect to see that. And that was a week before last week which is another week before this week which is potentially another week before like the next game if they make it i mean how far away can he be yeah when i was kind of looking at the injury reports from team to team um it's weird because he's kind of just silent in the background and i dove in a little bit really can't find much but based off the timeline of his injury based off where he should be now i wouldn't be surprised if if the texans win he might be able to appear the following week or if they make it to the Super Bowl. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Tank Dell come in by the end of the year. What's the standard timeline for a fractured fibula? Well, for his case, um, being that it was a full fracture, it wasn't like a hairline or anything like that, right. he's going to probably have that like eight-week window, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's... When you, when you fracture a fibula, one of the things that people kind of describe as like the discomfort and pain is when you really plant on that and then that finally gets weight-bearing load through it, it feels like somebody kicks you. So a lot of my patients have described like um, a fibula fracture as like, it's fine walking, it's fine jogging, I can do stuff in the pool, but like if I go to jump, plant, cut, it feels like that leg just got like a lightning bolt shot to where that fracture is. Right. So that's what's gonna be the determining factor for him. So I don't, I mean, I don't think that there's a, um, you know, a complete ruling him out for this. So he did, yeah, he did that right at the start of December. So we're now at like seven weeks this weekend. Yeah. Next week's eight weeks. Could I mean, be. I'm, I'm, I am very surprised that there has been no conversation about that, mm -hmm. you know, anywhere else. Like I, I can't find anything about the idea that he might return the fact that nobody's even asking the question seems a little strange to me. Yeah, and given that also the Texans wide receiver core is not necessarily the yeah. I mean, they could use health. Them, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is there any chance that I mean, obviously this is just speculation, but is there any chance it was somehow a more complicated slash serious injury than that, which is why they were so immediate in he's done for the year, like and and it's never been brought up again effectively. Yeah, I think this initially just the severity of how it looked. I mean, when he was in the middle of the pile, gets rolled up on, I think that there was probably initial speculation of like maybe something worse happened. Um, I didn't really hear if he had any ankle issues that came with that as well. Uh, so obviously, like when that happens, you see injury looked bad. We have a fracture. He's going IR. We know that. And maybe they just initially reported shutting him down. But as, also, like that's the team that probably wasn't thinking like well we make right. a deep playoff the AFC championship game yeah. yeah so yeah he's a he's an interesting case to keep a, a, an eye on so all right well that'll do it for the week and that will do it for the pff nfl podcast for this week as well so thank you all for watching and we will be back on monday